Welcome to Freya Singing Tips, the podcast. My name is Freya Casey, professional singer and vocal coach. I have been on stage my whole life, and I'm passionate about helping you discover the awesomeness in your own voice. Opera, musical theater, jazz, pop, folk, rock, I have done it all. And I want to give you golden nuggets of advice on how to be the master of your voice. Daniel Robinson, also known as Dr. Dan, you may have come across his videos on YouTube if you are into singing. Now, he's a dear friend and colleague of mine from Australia, and I had a chat with him that dug a little bit deeper and got out a few things that you may not know yet. And I always think it's so interesting to get to know the stories behind someone who's in the singing world, whether it's a vocal coach, someone who has been performing. And here is the interview that I had with Daniel. I hope you enjoy it. Daniel Robinson, aka Dr. Dan on YouTube, who is a dear colleague of mine. We have actually done a collaboration was a few years ago. A few years ago, yeah. I love to connect again. And this time I want to get to know you a bit better. That's a little more below the surface of what everyone knows, you being a vocal coach, but there's so much mm -hmm. more to the story. So maybe you yeah. can just introduce yourself. Give us in a nutshell, what do you do nowadays? Well, nowadays I teach. That's all I do. Certainly vocationally, I teach five days a week and What that looks like is very different to what it looked like when I started teaching nearly 30 years ago. I teach here in my private teaching studio. I teach a lot of students online and I do a lot of YouTube editing and, and videos. And so that's, that's what I do day to day. And besides that, I'm a husband with three, you know, growing children. And yeah, that fills in a week. Okay. And we all can hear from your accent that you're located in Australia. Whereabouts? I am. Whereabouts? I'm in Brisbane, Australia, which is, for anyone who knows where Sydney is, you head north for about a thousand kilometers. That's all. Thereabouts. Where we are, so I'm in the subtropics of Australia. And little little thing to know, we will be holding the Olympics in 2032. So we're going to be on the map at that point. And uh, yeah, so we're a city of about two million people. And uh, I was born in Sydney, but has spent mo the majority of my adult life here in Brisbane in Queensland. So talking about born, I want to get to know a little bit more about the Daniel um, as a child. What was I was very much influenced by the way my parents raised me because they were both musicians. Mm -hmm. There was always music in my mm -hmm. house. My mom played at the opera house. She was a wow. classical guitarist. She taught at the conservatory. My dad was a singer. So I was always surrounded by music. I would just love to know what was your influence? Like, how did you grow up? What role did music play in your life? Mm. That's an interesting question. I grew up in a, a very dogmatic right-wing Christian household. And so church was a very big part of my upbringing. Consequently, and And this speaks to the very right-wing dogma. My father particularly, but also my mother, did not allow secular music in the house. I remember that becoming a really 
big thing as I approached the age of around about sort of eight, nine, ten. Prior to that, one of the things I used to love doing was putting on Elton John LPs, Neil Diamond LPs. I had an affinity with music from a very, very young age. I, I really remember that. Sort of my teenage years, the formation years, the only thing that I was allowed to listen to was Christian music. And so I, I consumed a lot of Christian music, uh, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Leon Patello, Don Moen, um, Petra. I was right into Christian rock, Petra Whiteheart, The Allies. These were all of my saving graces, if you will, because as I said, I, I wasn't allowed to listen to anything else except for when I was at school and I... I still remember going on a school excursion and listening to Dire Straits and just thinking they were awesome while we were listening to them on the bus because that was a taboo. I was not allowed to listen to that in the house. And so that was my that was my upbringing and so I've I must admit I've had to play a lot of catch up in my adult life to consuming a lot of music material that I wasn't allowed to listen to. You know, a lot of people growing up my age, I'm in my, um, in my very, very early 50s, a lot of people my age, they grew up listening to the Beatles. They grew up listening to Rolling Stones and, you know, think of all those bands that you would expect to have listened to back then. I was not permitted that. And so I've had to play a lot of catch up with, with that kind of thing. It's really interesting. Uh, we have something in common, but I, I came from it from the, the other direction. In my house, uh -huh. when I grew up, we did not have any pop music playing at all. There was mostly classical music playing. And it was almost right. like it was looked down upon, pop music. Yeah, okay. My dad was like, this is horrible sound. They're just yelling. This is, this is, yes. yeah. this is not great. This is <laughs> well, impossible. and in some cases that was true, right? <laughs> that is true. But it's really interesting. So, but that seemed to have a large effect on your, on your life because later on when you did your doctorates yeah your thesis was about contemporary worship yeah and especially then when it comes to the role of singers right so tell me a little yeah. bit about how did that come about so you went maybe we start at where did you like your college career and how did okay. that continue on so i th i think like a lot of singing teachers who find themselves in singing teaching as a career and I, I i distinguish that from you know singers who teach a bit on the side i think a lot of us find ourselves doing this through, through via a very convoluted path so for me my first year out of high school i toured with a a ministry a christian ministry band so my the trajectory of my of my christian upbringing kind of continued into my first year out of high school i toured with a ministry band For 10 months, we, we lived out of suitcase, traveling up and down the eastern seaboard of, a, of Australia. Very cool thing to do when you're 18. Uh, you know, I don't think I would want to do it now. But uh, so we toured up and down the eastern seaboard. And really, I opened my mouth and hoped for the best. I, I'd had a couple of years of classical private singing lessons, but they really didn't translate into what I found myself doing in front of this basically rock pop Christian band. 
And so then um, straight out of that, I followed the continuing trajectory of my dogmatic upbringing, which was basically go to Bible college. So I did two years of seminary. Another and I got because I also yeah 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 I got to the I got to the end of that and really didn't know what I was going to do. I'd been asked to be a worship pastor. Certainly at that point, not an ordained one. I became ordained later became a worship pastor. So I basically had a, a worship team that I was in, in charge of. At the same time, I found myself being accepted into the Queensland Conservatorium of Music. Uh, the Queensland Conservatorium would be one of two or three preeminent music colleges here in Australia. And so I got accepted into that. And so I kind of started this dual existence, if you will, one being, you know, my well, it wasn't part-time. It was a very full-time job of being a, a worship pastor, a creative arts pastor, and the other one I was uh, doing full-time study. In amongst there, I, I, I met my wife and uh, we met doing a show. She's a, an actor and, and now a, a high school drama teacher by trade. And so we progressed through there and we got to a point where through a number of different circumstances, um, I finished up at the church that I was being a worship pastor at. Alongside that, I was a founding member of what's called the Ten Tenors. Uh, the Ten Tenors do a bit of t- touring through Europe, and so they, they might be known to some people over there. But um, I think I've heard them. Yes. But here in Australia, yeah, in Australia they're quite a quite a big kind of thing, but very classically orientated. And so I I stepped aside for them because I really wanted to pursue contemporary music, classical. It just, it didn't resonate with me. I had been, in a sense, tapped on the shoulder to be, you know, the next great Baroque tenor. You know, I I could do it. You didn't connect with it. I just didn't connect with it. I didn't grow up with it. I had no sense of resonance with the repertoire at all. And uh, I ended up finding myself doing some music theatre and then found myself doing professional around about the year 2000, 2001. At the same time while I was doing my master's, I found myself doing professional um, corporate work. So up and down, again, up and down the Eastern Seaboard of Australia, flying all over the place with a, a friend of mine as a, we were doing a duo called Fever Pitch. And uh, so we had a lot of experience with that. And uh that that had its season and we we really had a lot of fun doing that but i kind of still had this burning desire to sort of cut my own album you know i grew up in the 80s and so cutting an album was kind of the the thing to do and i wanted to do it and so anyway um i ended up cutting an album in uh 2006 7 and uh toured that album ended up um having a couple of top 30s here in australia I on the Christian charts. I listened to some of the previews. Uh, oh, did you? I love this. It's on your website, so anyone can check. Yeah, it, out. it is. There yeah, the previews, yeah. and if you want to purchase the entire uh-huh. album, I think I think it's absolutely lovely. Oh, thank you. It's it's very. I mean, it's certainly not a modern sound any longer. It it was a sound for its time, but that was a that was a really rewarding project. I was very proud of the the outcome the the quality that I was able to produce and the team I was able to gather to do that project and it it had 
you know, for being an independent album, because it was independent, I, I didn't have any um, record label association. It had relatively good success, probably as much as an independent album in those days could have had, because this was still very, I mean, music space was still a thing. <laughs> MySpace it was called MySpace, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, back in those days, MySpace was a thing as opposed to YouTube or Spotify um, and in fact, I think Napster was a thing back then. But anyway, yeah. So, so, but that was also the very start of my of my doctoral journey as well. So I was kind of touring the album, starting my doctorate, and and really, in one sense, seeing the writing on the wall. Very sort of as I went along, that music it was going to be very hard to make a, a really sustainable income from performance certainly not the level of income that i wanted to provide for my family here in australia and so teaching teaching started to become more and more a focus for me and uh and you know and we hit fun with ourselves here at the end of 2023 and that's all i do now i i only teach the only performance i do now is i still lead worship in my very 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 small little local church oh you still do that that's very i still do that yeah i still i still do that you know the the a very very aging population of our church um i think really appreciate just having live music a lot of churches these days are, are singing their hymns and choruses to tape and um but they in our church they've got me and a couple of other people who can play live music so that's a that's a positive so in your experience, you have been teaching over the years, many, many students of probably uh-huh. similar to me, all ages, all levels. Um, and you and yes. I, another thing we have in common is we don't just work with like the elite singers. We work with the singer who begins, yep. someone who just loves singing, also the aspiring yes. professional singer or the professional singer. Yep. We work across the board, which is a little different than someone coming to you who's already extremely polished. You can see very fast progress sometimes when you tweak one small detail. For beginners, yeah. a lot of times it's about a lot of very small wins that then yeah. accumulate over time. But it does definitely yeah. take time. It's I always tell people it's not a quick fix. You have small things that can be fixed quickly with sometimes an exercise and you get it you understand the difference but there always comes the point where you feel it just does get hard and like where am I going from here and there is always a time of plateau but I would like to ask you in your experience of all those years of teaching and singing yourself on stage Mm. there's no right or wrong but what what do you see what's the connection between someone's upbringing if there was music involved yeah, or someone being raised in a home where there was really not a lot of music going on. Do you see a connection yeah. in how well someone picks up sounds and matching pitches and just what the difference is between this and that sound? What's your experience? Yeah, I think there is some correlation. Whether that correlation is is brought about by causation is hard to hard to know. I think now with the with the prevalence of something like Spotify where music 
is so easily accessible. When when you and I were growing up, Freya, we you you had to buy a single LP, you know, and and you would then you know maybe save for another month to buy another LP. Yeah. But at the end of the year, you might only have ten LPs. And you were very now, excited about that one. LP. You you were very <laughs> you have new you were, you were the envy of all your friends. <laughs> you were the envy of all your friends if you had that many LPs. Now, every single person who has a Spotify account has access to a, a, a crazy amount of music. And so the ability to be in your own bed, a young person's ability to be in their own bedroom and to be singing along with that music, good, bad or ugly, not kind of the point, is so much higher than perhaps even 20, 30 years ago. So I, I think I observe, I mean, and acknowledging too, most of the people who do come for singing lessons, not all, but most people, they come because they have some sense of affinity with the activity. They, they want to sing. And my job is not to determine whether that affinity is producing good, bad, or ugly. My job is to nurture that affinity. My job is to encourage and, you know, provide skills through, you know, the different devices and tools that I have at my disposal due to my learning and, and experience as a singing teacher. But I don't get too hung up in how good a voice is, and, and people hear me say this, and people because I say this sort of thing on my own YouTube channel all the time. You know, singing is not about perfect notes. Singing is about communication. I wholeheartedly, and again, people hear me say this, and I'm, I'm, conv- I'm sure that people go, yeah, that's just spin. That's just, I so believe that it, singing, your voice deserves to be heard. And yes, there are the Beyonce's in the world. There are the Morissettes in the world. There are the, you know, Gabrielle Henriques, the, these, these people who we've come to look to as, as being, wow, they're amazing. But I, I value just as highly the grandmother who is, is singing a lullaby to their grandchild while they go to sleep. And I have, over the years, taught many grandmas, many granddads who literally are coming because they simply want to be able to create a sweeter tune for their grandkids. And what a tremendous privilege it is for me to play a small role in helping that to come about. And to what degree that is achieved, I like to think most of my students walk away feeling like we've developed something together and that they have achieved something uh, as a result of our time together. For me, it's not about perfection and, and making the next, the next Ed Sheeran or whoever. I'm really just about the human being that's, that I'm spending one-on-one time with or, you know, for that matter, in my Voice Essentials community online via my YouTube videos to encourage singing because it's the human birthright of every human being to sing 
that's not to say everyone has to. I've got two legs and therefore I, I have the necessary components to dance. I, I don't have a desire to dance. Um, and so I don't <laughs> ask my wife at any wedding. It's very hard to get me on the dance floor. But I do, I do believe that anyone who wants to sing should be allowed to sing and should feel a freedom to sing because I, I also don't believe in the duality of singer non-singer and tv talent shows have been a terrible thing for this where we we kind of say well you're allowed to sing because you sound great you sound awesome and everyone else which is the majority shush don't don't use your voice because you sound sound horrible i just don't buy into that i haven't bought into that for many 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 years my experience is I have a lot of people who message me that say, I'm older. Is there hope? Yeah. And it, I always get these messages from people who absolutely love singing and they have been trying to get better by looking at resources online, like watching YouTube videos. Yes. But they yes. believe, they believe that, but I'm just too old. I'm just, yeah. I'm already over 50, which, <laughs> you know, when you reach 50, you were like, that's not old at all. Or over 60, <laughs> I'm no, already no. saying, my experience, I, I'll, I'll share my experience and I would love for you to share your experience if there's anything similar. What I've experienced is a lot of people, of course, think when you're young, it's easier to learn. That is true when it comes to just grasping new things. What I have seen the advantages of an older, person, whether it's singing or anything else really studying is when you're young, you have a lot of resources physically and you could just like yeah. just spend them and just do a lot. You just sing like Ed Sheeran. That's later, yeah. literally how he taught himself to sing. He just did a lot. He yeah. just sang and sang and sang yeah. and sang. Yeah. And he kept improving little by little. But then the older person has an advantage over that. They don't just wildly and just randomly do things but they're more intentional yeah. about it. So they're more yes. focused. And you have to kind of think when you're older, also as an athlete, probably, what am I going to do today that's actually yeah. going to make a difference instead of just exhausting yourself every single day? So, and I've seen there is just as much progress for someone who might be 80 years old than for someone who's 20 years old. What's your yeah. experience? What I, I, I think for the older learner, and I, I actually now, these days, I only teach adults. So I teach a lot of people in the age group that you're referring to. The one key advantage that a, a young person, I'm talking teens and younger, have over adult learners, and I'm, now I'm talking everyone basically 20s and above, the one thing that, that the teens and younger have over us, oldies, is time. They, they really have time to boot. In addition to that time, they have extrinsic motivators. They're generally called parents or guardians who are saying, get to your room, do your piano practice, do your singing practice. I don't want to see you come out here. You're not going to get dinner until you've done it. Something like that. So they certainly have that. And as a result, they do have the advantage of getting that consistent practice in, maybe not driven by intrinsic motivation, but 
but the practice happens nonetheless. What we as older learners have the advantage, we don't have the time. Oh my goodness, we don't have the time. But we do have other points of maturity that a young person simply doesn't even know exist yet. And that is organization of time and making our practice not necessarily practice of quantity, but practice of quality. And also knowing specifically what they want to learn. Whereas a, a kid, like I said, I did a couple of years uh, classical lessons as a kid. I The reason I did that is because I, I didn't know any better. I, I mean, you know, it was that was kind of, oh, you want singing lessons? Yep, here's a classical teacher. Go and have lessons with that. And I'm okay, <laughs> off we go. Whereas I think, you know, an older person is more specific and therefore more focused. And most definitely an older singer should never feel that their time has passed. The voice does not anatomically start to significantly atrophy until the seventh decade, so into your 70s. But that doesn't mean you can't be singing during your 70s. In fact, it's the old adage, if if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Mm -hmm. So if you keep using your voice, the voice will be maintained at a relative level regardless of your age. The longer we are living and the longer we are living in a healthy way, the voice is being able to be maintained. And so, you know, it is, it is more than fine and more than to be encouraged that people in their later years engage in that if that's what they want to do. I absolutely agree. And I never have liked anyone say, well, I'm too old, you know, like blaming age for anything. There are a few things that you can't do anymore when you get older physically, like having babies as a woman. (laughs) Um, Yes. When you're 70 years old, um, you have your post menopausal. So physically it's just not possible and that's just nature, but really most, most anything else, I, I never liked this um, attitude of, Oh, I'm just too old for that. I always believe it, that even physical exercise, you could start in your 80s and still benefit greatly and become strong. And we know now something that humans, you know, we used to not believe. We know now that it's not true that not you know, new brain cells are being built. Yeah. New brain yeah. cells are being built all the time until the day we die. So there's not this sense of, well, there's nothing new I can learn because my brain just can't handle new connections now. Yeah. Brain plasticity is a, is a very real thing. And in part, it all comes back to what, what, is, your, what is your expectation around the end goal? What, and I'm, I'm not actually really focused on the product, you know, and that's why I'm able to say, it's not about perfect notes. It's about communication. I'm more about the process and the journey of learning and, and enjoying that journey. Yeah, we, we, we produce some things along the way. but And this is why, for example, you mentioned menopause. Menopause for, for many women will bring about change in the voice. It will. But that change doesn't have to be seen as a threat. It can be a challenge, 
but it's a challenge in so much as there might be some need for, for some adjustment in expectations as to what the outcomes are. And and so I think like you, I'm, you know, I certainly don't see singing as an age-driven activity. When we get into professional performance, that that puts a slightly different lens over it because then you've got, you're dealing with the expectations of an audience and there are different parameters in play there. But certainly from a vo- an avocational standpoint, an amateur singing you know, singing for leisure and pleasure, one should never use uh, or find themselves using age as an excuse. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, we are a little different in because I come from this world of very output uh, relevant, you know, you were in professional opera, that very competitive, very competitive. And yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, part of why I left that world was because I did not enjoy that lifestyle. There's so much pressure and there's a lot you have to give up. I probably would not be having, I would not have my three children if I had decided to stay on that track. And that was a very intentional decision. You know, I have, most of my singers are the, the teacher, the students that I teach are hobby singers. Yeah. But probably I attract them because I do have that kind of like, Okay. It is important to like the technique is like so important. Uh, Absolutely. You, you mentioned something that's very interesting. So the connecting with the music and it's all about the process. There's one thing I always yeah. tell my students. It's enjoy the process. It's not about an end goal because when you reach that end goal, you will have a new goal. It's never like you're going to arrive at the final destination. Yeah. There is yeah. no final destination. It's always continuing as today. I learn every single day. I learn a lot from my students. I am exposed to new repertoire that I still didn't know. I didn't know, you know, just like you, because we had only classical music playing at home. I also had to catch up a lot. And there are still a lot of things nowadays where someone would say, what? You don't know this? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's so much music out there. How could you ever know everything? Probably I know a lot of things that you may not know. And you probably know in the praise and worship world a lot of things. Moving, looking back on your own vocal journey, I Mm. would love to hear because I was, I just could sing. And then my story is that I entered college and I kind of stumbled into this. Now I'm becoming a professional opera singer and now I'm winning competitions with classical stuff against really great people. So for me, it was because. I was always good at, I listened to music and my parents were both in the classical world. It was always very easy, which made me always a very lazy student. Okay. No, I I put a lot of work in, but I have to put in so much less work and still be really good than a Uh lot of others. But I would love to hear your story. It's very interesting because for me, I had to learn how to teach a lot of things because they were never an issue for me. It was not easy to kind of find out how do you teach someone to use vibrato or to sing on pitch? Because for me, those were never things I actually learned. I just knew how to do them. Just did them. What is your yeah. journey? How, where did you start? And how did you evolve in your technical and performance uh, you know, skill levels? Well, well, that's an interesting question because I also grew up 
constantly like like winning winning the local Steadfords, constantly having people walk up to my parents and tap them on the shoulder and say, um, did you realize that this young man can really sing? And, you know, I, I got into this band first year out of high school from a very young age, constantly recognized as a singer. And then I, I got into the Queensland Conservatorium of Music. In fact, the, the story of how I got into the Queensland Conservatorium is I rang after all the auditions for the year had finished. I rang the lady and I said, oh, hi, I'd like to audition for the conservatorium. And the lady said, oh, I'm sorry, the auditions have closed for the year. Um, You'll have to ring back again next year. Then she told me when to do that. And that was like eight months away. And I'm oh, oh, okay, sure, okay. I told a particular friend and he said, ring them back and tell them, Tell them you're a true tenor. I, I didn't even know what he... I, I, so literally two days later, I rang back. I got exactly the same lady on the phone and she went to proceed to go through the same spiel that she was getting. Sorry, there's no auditions left. And just as she was about to hang up, I went, oh, I'm a true tenor. Oh, just wait a moment. I'll get someone who can help you. And I was literally at that point, put through to the head of classical voice at the time, um, Adele Nisbet. Within a week, I had an audition. And that afternoon at the audition, they said, congratulations, you'll be coming into the Queensland Conservatorium, all based on my voice. The challenge I, I faced was my musicianship was not very high. And so I then had to go through a lot of upskilling around my musicianship, music theory, oral, and those kinds of things. And so that was the part that I found really challenging through my my musical academic career. And uh, whereas like you, the voice was always kind of not classical, but once I got into contemporary and I was doing jazz, I, I would walk away with not 100 out of 100 for my all of my exams, but close to. And I didn't have to work all that hard, but there were things that I did want to be able to do with my voice that I didn't feel like I was receiving the tuition that I needed in the methodical, systematic way that I felt that I needed. And I think alongside myself as a musician, I would also really classify myself as an educator. I've always loved educating people. And so in being an educator, of music, specifically singing, because I also started when I was very young, I also used to teach guitar. I went about developing a systematic way of delivering that information so that anyone could step up to the plate and give it a good swing. So that's how I I found myself doing it. Certainly, that is not that how I have produced my Voice Essentials program and what have you. It is not the way I was taught because it's in one sense not what I needed. I definitely needed it in my musicianship and oral. <laughs> but vocally it wasn't something that I that I um, was exposed to. But it, it's certainly something that I've developed for my students. It's really interesting because I feel the way a lot of vocal coaches teach is, like you said, it's really a lot of what you wish you had had when someone taught to you. I remember yeah. going into like the first teacher I ever had in college and I never had voice lessons in my life before that. 
So yeah. I didn't know any terminology or like, what is placement? I have no idea what he's talking about. Like full word mask. And like, what, what am I supposed to do here? Give me something practical. <laughs> the first year, basically, my teacher just threw pieces at me. It was like, you're going to sing that. And I just figured it out. So when he yeah. presented Rejoice Greatly from the Messiah, I listened. I was like, is he insane? I'm supposed to sing that. There's just no way. How am I supposed to? So too fast. Oh, in a couple of weeks, I figured it out. I just did it. I practiced uh-huh. and I did it. That's kind of how I always figured things out. That's yeah. how I learned the piano. I just looked at the sheet music and I figured it out. The technical, I did like the children's corner, DBC, all of them. Those are kind of advanced, but I love those pieces so much because I had heard someone play them and I'm like, I want to play these pieces. And so I would sit for hours and hours and hours and figure it out and I could play them. Although I was technically not in anywhere near. It was really interesting because I would have needed someone to make it simple and straightforward. And that's how I created all my courses for everyone to understand straightforward, but with the information of can you tell me what's actually happening with the larynx or what's pharyngeal space? What is actually happening? That connection yeah. piece between what does it feel like and what does it sound like and what is actually physically happening? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think to be gracious to, certainly to be gracious to my, you know, early teachers, in part, we are, one of the reasons why we weren't taught that way is because we actually did. Back then, and I'm talking 30 years ago, we didn't know, you know, the stuff we know now about voice. And also there was that sense of, well, you're a singer, you can just do it. Whereas, you know, my approach and, and, I, and I suspect yours is not, not one of you can sing if you're a singer, you know, everyone else don't even bother. No, everyone's allowed to sing. And so if if everyone's allowed to sing, then let's find ways, and in my case, I'm very methodical and systematic, let's find ways of teaching you the skill. It's a, it's a motor skill. And that's not to say that everyone who wants to learn to sing is be going to become, like, amazing. Like, I play social sport. And in the, in the sphere of social sport that I play, there are national champions in that sport. Oh, I will never be, I can assure you, I will never be a national champion. But it doesn't stop me from fronting up every week and I love it. I enjoy it. I run around. I make massive mistakes on the field, but I'm having a good time. And I work hard at being better but I work hard at being better knowing that I'll never be the best, but I can be a better version of me doing that skill. And it's the same with singing. Uh, You don't have to need to be the best before you start singing. You can just learn to sing and enjoy it, love it, get great, a great sense of satisfaction and fulfillment from learning to do it well with good skill. And uh, yeah, that's what I do every day of the week is work with people just like that. We're talking about making progress and getting better. You have a resource, uh, a free course, a mini course. It's very similar named. I have one that is maybe everyone listening who is interested in learning how to sing, 
they can check out both because they might go hand in hand. So mine is very much on the technical side. It's called Seven Days to Perfect Support, where I talk uh -huh. all about the core and how to engage for singing. And tell mm -hmm. us about your mini course. Look, mine is called Seven Days to a Better Voice. It's it's just an opportunity to engage in some some rather low level fruit, you know, easy picking activities that everyone can can sort of engage with. And I do look at some breath management. I look at some, so I think there's a bit of twang in there and some belt. But we also look at vocal rest. There's a little bit of anatomy in there. And people can, can sign up to that. And it is free. I've had well over, I think, 15,000 people participate in that to date. So it's a well-trod path. And, uh, and a lot of people have, have, have got something out of it, which is, which is quite fulfilling for me. Wonderful. So I will definitely provide the link, including the links where everyone can find you online, on YouTube, yeah, great. on the socials and your website. So if anyone wants more information about Dr. Dan, Voice Essentials, <laughs> that's uh, the brand, you can check them out. Daniel, it's yeah. been such a pleasure to connect with you. And I could and talk forever because we have a lot of common things in our background and the way we approach we things and like the yeah. energy we bring to the things. Yeah. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. That would be good. I'd, I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity to do so. All right. Thank you so much for spending this time with Thanks, me. Thanks, Freya. Thank you. Bye. I think it is so interesting to ask someone about the background and it's always fascinating to me how the way someone was brought up has such an influence on what they do later in life and especially when it comes to music. This is my experience that the childhood experiences and how we were exposed to music has so much to do with what happens later in life and how easy it is for us to access music and how our brain works. Like for me, example... It's really hard for me to carry on a conversation when there's music in the background that has vocals especially in it because part of my brain wanders off and consciously listens for all kinds of things. It's the teacher in me. It's the singer in me. I want to analyze. I listen to it. I can't just block it out. I could, but it's really hard because that is more interesting to me than the conversation usually. Be blessed. Have a great day and always dream big.